This is Bradcast producer Desi Doyen. We're off today, but please enjoy this encore broadcast originally recorded on July 14th, 2022. The Justice Department remains committed to holding all January 6th perpetrators at any level accountable under law, whether they were present that day or were otherwise criminally responsible for the assault on our democracy. Yeah. We remember that, Merrick Garland, and we're going to hold you to it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day, five days a week on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Burden Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around... Swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. The next public hearing of the bipartisan U.S. House Select Committee investigating Trump's January 6, 2021 insurrection and his multiple attempts to steal our 2020 election is now tentatively scheduled for next Thursday, July 21. And I think it will be in prime time in the evening. Is that good? I think that that is good. I think it gives more of the American public who hopefully has been hearing about all this stuff a chance to actually watch it. Yeah, Desi Doyen's just uh, happy she doesn't have to wake up at 6 Uh, (laughs) a.m. Anyway, uh, mark your calendars. It's likely to be another doozy. In an interview on Wednesday, Congresswoman Elaine Luria, Democrat of Virginia, who's set to co-lead that hearing with Republican committee member Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, said the public can expect a detailed timeline of the 187 minutes that's more than three hours between the uh, between then President Trump leaving the stage at the Stop the Steal rally on the ellipse near the White House and Trump delivering remarks, finally telling his mob of supporters who stormed the Capitol to go home. And that is, of course, uh, as we heard in day seven of the hearings, that is what, in fact, Uh, led the supporters to leave when they finally heard from Donald Trump that it was time to go. Loria said the committee will talk about Trump's, quote, dereliction of duty, citing evidence showing that Trump was resistant to urging his supporters 
to stop the violence and to leave the Capitol on January 6th. I look forward to it, but frankly, based on the seven committee hearings so far, a number of former federal prosecutors believe that there is already more than enough information with which to prosecute Donald J. Trump. Donald Ayer served as U.S. Attorney and Principal Deputy Solicitor General in the Ronald Reagan administration, arguing before the Supreme Court, and as Deputy AG under George H.W. Bush. Stuart M. Gerson served as Assistant Attorney General for the Civil Division of the Department of Justice from 89 to 93 and as Acting AG in 1993. Dennis Aftergut is a former federal prosecutor and former Chief Assistant City Attorney in San Francisco. Two Republicans and one Democratic former federal prosecutors uh, who write an essay today at The Atlantic headlined, January 6 was Trump's project all along, and the Department of Justice has more than enough evidence to prosecute him for it. In fact, the original headline for this piece was simply, The DOJ Must Prosecute Trump. It begins this way. After seven hearings held by the January 6th committee thus far this summer, doubts as to who is responsible have been resolved. The evidence is now overwhelming that Donald Trump was the driving force behind a massive criminal conspiracy to interfere with the official January 6th congressional proceeding and to defraud the United States of a fair election outcome. The evidence, they write, is clearer and more robust than we as former uh, former federal prosecutors Two of us as Department of Justice officials in Republican administrations ever thought possible before the hearings began. Trump, they write, was not just a willing beneficiary of a complex plot in which others played most of the primary roles. While in office, he himself was the principal actor in nearly all of its phases, personally executing key parts of most of its elements and aware or of aware of or involved in its worst features, including the use of violence on Capitol Hill. Most remarkably, they say, he did so over vehement objections raised at every turn, even by his own sycophantic and loyal hand-picked team. This was Trump's project all along. As former prosecutors, they write, we recognize the legitimacy of concerns that electoral winners prosecuting their defeated opponents may look like something out of a banana republic rather than the United States of America, that doing so might be viewed as opening the door to prosecutorial retaliation by future presidential winners, and that, in the case of this former president, it might lead to civil unrest. But, they write, given the record now before us, all of these considerations must give way to the urgency of achieving a public reckoning for Donald Trump, the damage to America's future that would be inflicted by giving him a pass far outweighs the risk of prosecuting him. The committee's evidence to date establishes multiple significant points for prosecutors. They conclude, quote, any argument that Donald Trump lacked provable criminal intent is contradicted by the facts elicited by the January 6th committee. And the tradition of not prosecuting a former president must yield to the manifest need to protect our constitutional form of government and to assure that the violent effort to overthrow it is never repeated. 
Now, according to recent polls, a majority of Americans agree with that sentiment today from two former Republican federal prosecutors and one former Democratic federal prosecutor. But does our current Attorney General Merrick Garland and his Department of Justice, do they concur? And if so, are they now carrying out that effort in a way that will achieve those ends, bringing Donald Trump to justice, and will it be successful? A lot of top former federal prosecutors are now ringing in on that very question after seven days of extraordinary public hearings by the bipartisan U.S. House Select Committee investigating the insurrection and Trump's attempts to steal the election. And so is one person who has followed every indictment, every court filing in this matter, virtually every piece of evidence collected in the cases of the more than 800 Donald Trump MAGA dupes on the ground who have been charged with attacking the Capitol, to the more than a dozen co-conspirators from right-wing extremist groups, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers currently facing decades in prison on seditious conspiracy charges, to the cases being brought or investigated against those in Donald Trump's inner circle and even Donald Trump himself. The great Marcy Wheeler of Empty Wheel joins us next on the broadcast to discuss where all of these hearings and all of this evidence has now brought us and if we are finally any closer to seeing an actual prosecution of our disgraced former president of the United States. Uh, we haven't spoken with Marcy in, in a while. We haven't spoken with her since before the uh, hearings began. She has a lot to say about <laughs> the hearings and, in fact, about uh, the investigation and, yes, prosecution of Donald J. Trump. Yes, being carried out, she will argue, by the Department of Justice. That is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. You're listening to an encore presentation of the broadcast. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Andrew Weissman was a senior prosecutor in the special counsel investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election after spending years as a senior federal prosecutor in a myriad of high-profile criminal conspiracy cases. He argues this week in a New York Times op-ed, quote, the tenacious work of the January 6th committee has transformed how we think about the January 6th rebellion. It should also transform the Justice Department's investigation into efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Before the hearings, federal agents and prosecutors were performing a classic bottom-up 
criminal investigation of the January 6th rioters, which means prosecuting the lowest ranking members of a conspiracy, flipping people as it proceeds and following the evidence as high as it goes. It was what I did at the Justice Department for investigations of the Genovese and Colombo crime families, Enron and Volkswagen as well, as for my part in the investigation of Russia's, in, uh, Russia's interference in the 2016 election led by the special counsel Robert Mueller. But that is actually the wrong approach for investigating the January 6th insurrection, writes Weissman. That approach sees the attack on the Capitol as a single event, an isolated riot separate from other efforts by Donald Trump and his allies to overturn the election. The hearings, he argues, should inspire the Justice Department to now rethink its approach. A myopic focus on the January 6th riot is not the way to proceed if you are trying to follow the facts where they lead and to hold people, quote, at any level criminally accountable, as Attorney General Merrick Garland has promised. The evidence gathered in the hearings describes a multi-pronged conspiracy, what prosecutors term a hub-and-spoke conspiracy, in which the ellipse speech by Donald Trump and the January 6th attack on the Capitol were just one spoke of a grander scheme. This broader approach would avoid the thorny debate that has emerged as to whether Mr. Trump could be criminally culpable for inciting the riot during his ellipse speech or if, on the contrary, his speech is protected under the First Amendment and the evidence just too ambiguous to justify the extraordinary step of indicting a former president. Building a criminal case that looks solely at the riot itself is far more complex legally and factually for those who weren't at or in the Capitol, for example, Donald Trump. These challenges, he says, of the current bottom-up approach have led to criticism of the slow pace of the narrow Justice Department approach. Instead, he argues, what the hearings have revealed is evidence of a plot organized by Mr. Trump and his allies in the White House and elsewhere, including players from the Mueller investigation like Roger Stone, Michael Flynn, Rudy Giuliani, as well as new players like Jeffrey Clark and John Eastman. The spoke of the January 6th riot should be seen and investigated simultaneously with the other spokes orchestrating fake electors in key states, pressuring state officials like those in Georgia to find new votes, plotting to behead the leadership of the Justice Department to promote a lackey who would further the conspiracy by announcing a spurious investigation into election fraud and pressuring Vice President Mike Pence to violate the law. Investigating the January 6th insurrection, Weissman argues, in the context of the other means by which Mr. Trump appears to have sought to undermine the transfer of power, I call that his clear attempt to steal the election, serves to strengthen any future case by presenting the complete evidence of the perpetrator's actions and intent, and it undermines possible defenses. Well, our friend Marcy Wheeler... The tenacious and incredibly prolific longtime independent national security journalist at her site, EmptyWheel.net, and a contributor to many other publications like The Intercept, The Guardian, Politico, New York Times, among others, has been following the indictments and federal filings and evidence and court transcripts and much more of the 
hundreds uh, from the hundreds of folks who were indicted for participating in the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, as well as those in the far right extremist groups like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, who are now facing decades in prison on seditious conspiracy charges, not to mention the various investigations and potential prosecutions of those in Trump's inner circle, including just maybe, just hopefully, the former disgraced president himself. She has long argued at her blog and on Twitter and indeed on this program that critics charging that Merrick Garland and his Department of Justice were not investigating the real perpetrators of the attempt to steal the 2020 election, including by overthrowing the American government, were, well, not not paying close enough attention. That indeed the DOJ was and is, in fact, as Weissman suggested, working on a careful, deliberate, bottom-up strategy to hold those responsible, at least for January 6, accountable. From the grunts on the ground up through the seditious conspirators in the right-wing extremist groups and hopefully up into Trump's inner circle. She... Marcy has often made that case in contradiction to other perhaps better known legal advocates critical of Garland for not moving fast enough or not even moving at all. In recent weeks, there has been more visible law enforcement actions brought against a number of Trump's conspirators. The raid of Trump DOJ lackey Jeffrey Clark's home. He's the guy who Trump threatened to place in charge of the DOJ in order to send letters to swing state legislatures uh, falsely claiming that the department had found massive fraud and that they should consider naming new electors for Donald Trump instead of for Joe Biden. And the seizure of rogue Trump attorney John Eastman's cell phone. He's the guy who pushed hardest for Mike Pence to simply declare Trump to be the winner on January 6th during the joint session of Congress, even though he knew it was almost certainly unlawful and or unconstitutional. There's also been action suggesting the DOJ is probing the organizers of the January 6th rallies where Trump instructed his armed supporters to march on the Capitol and into the the entire fake electors scheme that was carried out in several swing states. But is Weissman right? Knowing what we now know is Garland's bottom up approach, the approach that he has been taking and the approach which Marcy Wheeler has told us was sort of ongoing all along. Is that the wrong approach for this particular crime? Is Weissman's hub and spoke approach the right one to take? Or is that what Garland has been doing? And is there time and the willingness at the DOJ, if not, to change to change the way they're prosecuting this case in order to focus on the guy who sat at the hub the whole time, participating in every spoke of all of these multiple crimes to steal the 2020 election. Joining us now is our old friend Marcy Wheeler to discuss all of this and almost certainly much more, including the January 6th hearings that we have been uh, just so wrapped by uh, in recent weeks. Marcy Wheeler, welcome back to the broadcast. Hey, great to be back. So, uh, you know, frankly, and, and I know you've got some strong opinions on uh, Mr. Weissman uh, and his take <laughs> here. But uh, listen, to start, I take Weissman's New York Times op-ed, frankly, as confirmation that you, Ms. Wheeler, had it right all along, at least in your argument, that in fact Garland was 
on the case, working at least from the ground up to wherever it may lead. But Weissman goes on to say that it's ultimately the wrong approach to prosecute this case. Is Weissman right on that point or is the slow and steady ground up approach uh, the right one? Or was DOJ already pushing the hub and spoke conspiracy type of investigation that Weissman is now calling for? Yeah, I think Weissman is not even remotely familiar with the investigation. You just reeled off a bunch of things that are in process that are the kinds of things that he has asked for. Mm-hmm. Um, you left out some stuff. Like, for example, Sidney Powell was referred for fraud, for uh raising money off grifters mm. uh, based on the big lie. Right. And that investigation, we know, was sending out grand jury subpoenas in September of last year. If you don't think getting Sidney Powell's emails, getting Sidney Powell's financial records mm. in, you know, they started, you know, well before September of last year, we assume, you don't think that's going to help you get to Trump, then... You know nothing about that December 18th meeting. Mm. You know nothing about one of the forces that was driving the the, the crazy between um, the election and the actual riot. Mm-hmm. Rudy Giuliani, right? Mm-hmm. You do not get to Trump unless you get to Rudy Giuliani. There are other people you need to get to. Mark Meadows is another one. You probably need to get Pat Cipollone's uh, cooperation. But you don't get there if you don't get Rudy Giuliani. Like, literally, the first day that Lisa Monaco was in charge of, was the Deputy Attorney General, she approved warrants for Rudy for the Ukraine investigation. But immediately after they got those warrants, DOJ turned around and said, hey, we want a special master, and we want the special master to review all of the comms, Mm -hmm. everything on Rudy's 16 phones (laughs) from January 1st, 2018, Mm -hmm. so this includes the Mueller investigation, through... The day we seized the phones, which was April 28th, 2021. Guess Mm -hmm. what happens to be on those phones in between January 1st, 2018 and April 28th, 2021 is everything he did that really, and he was, he was a promiscuous texter, right? right? So he carried on a lot of that. And that's the first thing Lisa Monaco did when she came into office. Now, Those warrants that we know about are not for January 6th, but Mm -hmm. because of the way they did it, the privilege review was not tied to scope. It was for everything. And so so at whatever time DOJ said, hey, we've got probable cause to go get Rudy's content, Mm -hmm. it was there. They, They saved literally a year of the investigation by doing it that way. And uh, so they can use all of that information for any aspect of this investigation that that they actually like. Right. In in both the case of Giuliani. That they can get a warrant for. Okay, Right. That they can get a warrant for. But we know that this is exactly what they did with Michael Cohen. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, with that that uh, the Mueller investigation did with Michael Cohen and then sent him over to SDNY. But I mean, one thing that one thing that's really interesting about that is um, a lot of people are talking about the fake electors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Weissman appears not to have noticed that Lisa Monaco made a formal invest, a formal announcement that they were investigating the fake electors in January. What we've learned recently is that investigation actually started months before that. That makes sense, right? Because mm-hmm. the 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 um, warrants that were going out, the subpoenas that were going out in January, and then more recently, those um, were based on something. And usually, as 
Weissman would tell you, they're usually going to be based on warrants that they got in secret. And so that stuff went on before they started sending off warrants, and, and we know that DOJ is not chasing the January 6th committee on that, because we know that what is in those subpoenas, the names that are in those subpoenas, are not names that have been publicly named by January 6th. Well, let me, I mean? Yeah, I do, but let me ask, uh, let, me, let me get at the, uh, this thought this way. So Weissman is saying uh, bottom-up is the wrong way to go about it, hub and spoke is the more appropriate way. You seem to be suggesting that uh, the DOJ was already sort of working in that broader fashion. Is it fair to say, and do we know, at least as I understand what, what Weissman is arguing, this hub and spoke, where uh, Donald Trump is the hub and he is sort of, you know, controlling each of the spokes. So instead of, uh, you know, working your way up to Donald Trump, you know, from January 6th, that you actually start with Donald Trump and you say, okay, we think this guy committed a crime or a lot of crimes. Uh, We are going to focus on him and see how he ties to all of these various crimes. Is it your belief that that is what DOJ is doing? No, no, because yeah, Andrew Weissman made the explanation for why that's not possible. Because he's like, well, and, and he, crazy, said, well, we can't, you know, we can't charge for, we can't charge Trump for incitement. But we're very far beyond charging Trump for incitement. We're, we're about, you know, did Trump conspire through people like Alex Jones, who's, you know, Alex Jones has two employees mm-hmm. who were arrested, mm-hmm. the most recent one in August. Mm-hmm. His phone has been fully exploited. You don't, you know, again, Alex Jones, like, I think it's better to think of the gatekeepers for Trump because Trump doesn't write anything down. Right. So if you're going to get to Trump, you have to get to the people who have stuff on their phone. And those people are Alex Jones, Roger Stone, uh, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, Mark Meadows, um, probably Steve Bannon. Who knows what Mike Flynn did, but let's throw his phone in there, too. Half of those phones... You know, half of those people we know of very advanced investigations into, like the the um, the Oathkeeper investigation into the Oathkeeper investigation was incorporating Roger Stone as a key mm-hmm. part of that investigation by March of 2021. So he names Roger Stone. He says, "Why aren't they investigating Roger Stone?" And I say, "Maybe you should look at the Oathkeeper's indictments because Roger Stone's all over them, mm-hmm. and there are four four uh, cooperating witnesses who have." personal knowledge of what Stone did, not just on the day, but also in the months leading up to the riot. But I I think that, um, and again, this may just be my understanding of Weissman's argument, but I think my understanding is the notion that Donald Trump is at the center of all of these various spokes and that, uh, you know, the way you create the spoke and the wheel is by beginning with, okay, what did Donald Trump do here? What was his involvement with all of these crimes? Do you have any sense? Am am I right about that? And do you have any sense that, yes, that is the way they're going about it? I think he may be arguing that. I think he may be arguing that. But just as one example, which I think is, is crazy, like there's an argument that people are making, which is should just be laughed at. Um, and he says, well, why isn't why isn't Merrick Garland's DOJ investigating Jeffrey Clark mm-hmm. uh, for maybe being replacing the attorney general? And A, DOJ IG opened an investigation into that, like, in January of 2021. So that investigation, I mean, DOJ IG is notoriously slow. So, unfortunately, you know, it, the, the, the warrants that you referenced actually was described as a cooperative effort between DOJIG and and other investigators. Mm-hmm. But 
um, A, that investigation's been going. B, of all of the things that we've talked about so far, that is the one that is most dubiously, I mean, it, it, it's probably legal. Mm. It's corrupt. Mm-hmm. It's wrong. It's, you know, it's proof that Trump had, had corrupt intent, but it, it's probably completely legal. And so until you tie Jeffrey Clark into the fake elector stuff. And so, um, and so what, you know, what all these people are saying is we should take prosecutors off of investigating the way in which Roger Stone coordinated with the 50 militia conspirators who literally moved bodies around at the, at the Capitol and take prosecutors off the investigations into Alex Jones, who literally served on Trump's order. Mm-hmm served as a Pied Piper, bringing thousands of bodies to the Capitol mm-hmm. to make the attack possible. And we're going to take prosecutors off of those investigations, investigate Jeffrey Clark for something that, A, is already under investigation, and, B, probably is legal. That's the argument that a lot of people are making, and that doesn't make any sense to me, because you've got these, you know, you've got Roger Stone coordinating with militias. Mm-hmm. That sounds like, if you know, you're more likely to sustain a prosecution of the president of the United States, the former president of the United States, if you can show, and this is what the January 6th committee finally is convincing people, if you can show that people working directly with Trump mm-hmm. actually were working directly with the militia. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the conspiracy here is much flatter than people think, and there are four people who are one degree, who, who put the militias or the other rioters mm-hmm. one degree of separation away from Trump. That's how flat this is. Now, as part of his argument um, that the DOJ is 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 not doing this correctly, he says uh, there are uh, signs that are not so encouraging. He says department prosecutors were reportedly surprised by the testimony of Mark Meadows' aide Cassidy Hutchinson, uh, who of course gave the such explosive testimony in the sixth public hearing uh, before the fourth july holiday uh, he says this is not a sign of a robust investigation into the facts uh why wouldn't the doj have already interviewed folks like cassidy hutchinson long ago marcy wheeler i mean it's a good question another really good question is precisely what is doj doing with mark meadows one of the funny things in the last couple of days is you've got people like andrew weissman panicking everyone who's anti-trump and then um, the Rolling Stone had a great article about how everyone in the Trump camp believes that Mark Meadows is about to go to prison. Mm. And those are completely incompatible things, because <laughs> if Mark Meadows is about to go to prison, we actually then don't need Cassidy Hutch- Hutchinson's testimony, because Mark Meadows is about to go to prison. But also, we don't know why all the Trump people are sure that's imminent, and all the Andrew Weissman people are sure that Cassidy Hutchinson is this great gaping hole in the middle of the investigation. I think Cassidy Hutchinson will be a tremendous witness, and I would be shocked if Jody Hunt, who is the lawyer that uh, shepherded her to this more expansive testimony, mm-hmm. who was an assistant attorney general at DOJ, he knows where DOJ is. He knows how to, you know, he knows how to shepherd his witness to DOJ. An important thing to remember too, yeah. though, is given given the descriptions of Hutchinson's evolving testimony mm-hmm. a it doesn't get there until she fires her trump paid lawyer right and that so was trump paid lawyer and jody hunt is the one who replaced her trump 
paid lawyer. And that was seems to be when she decided she would go in and, and be more forthcoming with the committee, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So she found somebody. He was, um, if you remember the Mueller investigation, um, Trump hears about the the Mueller investigation. He says, uh, I'm that is the, the person who took those notes and mm-hmm. shared them with Mueller was Jody Hunt. Okay. And so I, he, he, he's been in that role. He's been in a witness against, uh, against Trump role. And, and I think he saw how badly Trump treated Sessions. And so he was happy to be this woman's lawyer. Um, but you don't like if, if, if she had gone in with the, if she had received a subpoena, um, with her Trump lawyer from DOJ, you're going to have a very different outcome than you have if she's got Jody Hunt walking her in the front door. And the other thing is, um, I think that the trust that she developed with Liz Cheney was mm-hmm. also really important mm-hmm. to getting her to where she was willing to do this. Let so, me, you know, a conservative woman to, mm-hmm. to walk her through that. I got to get to a break here shortly, Marcy, and I want to come back and ask you uh, more broadly about uh, the January 6th hearings, because we haven't spoken to you since uh, since they began several weeks ago. But why, with Mark Meadows, he was referred for criminal contempt. Do you have any understanding, any insight as to why the DOJ has indicated that they are actually not going to bring criminal contempt charges against him? Is it be- is it because they expect he has executive privilege, or is it for another reason, because they want to hold him for a different prosecution? Do you have any insight into that? I think it's a combination of those things. It can't just be that he had a privilege that Steve Bannon didn't have because he worked in the White House, because mm-hmm. so did Peter Navarro. They decided that they were going to charge Peter Navarro. They, you know, they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can't just be that. But I also, I mean, and I've been pointing this out since February. In February, DOJ had to give um, records to Steve Bannon that showed that they were tracking what his attorney has been doing going back to March of 2021. That's not just a January 6th committee subpoena. It can't be, because uh, obviously the committee didn't even exist in March 2021, right? Yeah. Much less the subpoena. So they are conducting a broader investigation of Steve Bannon's role in whatever covering up, mm-hmm. and DOJ had to hand that to Bannon because they're, in, they're, they're prosecuting him for this contempt. And so... I think it is largely what you said, that because Mark Meadows was the chief of staff, uh, it's a different issue. It also is this criminal contempt that they're doing with, with Ben, one of the reasons they're successful at moving forward, even he's, as he's claiming that he might start cooperating, is because it's for punishment. It's not for coercing actual cooperation. And with Meadows, mm-hmm. I think everyone hopes that you're going to get actual cooperation. cooperation. You can get the chief, right? If you can get the chief of staff to flip against Trump, mm-hmm. then I mean, I, I think you really need one, or you know, you need Rudy Giuliani's going to be useless because oh. he's nuts. But you do need Rudy Giuliani. You do need Mark Meadows. Um, you know, knowing at least what Stone did, I think, would be critical. He, of course, is going to be useless because he's nuts. Um, and then, and then, yeah, you know, you hope that you're going to flip Mark Meadows. Mark Meadows, there's a reason that all of the Trump people think he's going to prison. And it's because he's, he's going, I mean, there's a lot of stuff against him, even really basic stuff. Like uh-huh. he bought a new phone after the investigation had started. And as a result, 
probably didn't turn over text, signal text, mm-hmm. on which he plotted insurrection mm-hmm. that were part of this investigation that, because he was the chief of staff to the president, knew about. And so, like, he's a walking obstruction case to begin with, and he's right at the center of the fake electors plot, which has been under investigation for months longer than people think. And so there's a lot of ways to get to Mark Meadows. There's no transparency right now about how DOJ plans to do that, and I think that is that drives the, the very real frustration with the discovery that this woman has been here all along, ready to narc out her boss. So there's so there's um, frustration. So there's frustration with it, but you're confident that they are trying to get to him. And if they get to him, uh, I guess the expectation or the hope is that he flips on the president himself. And there you go. Right, and and I mean one of the things that. There are incredibly damning records out there, even what we've seen, even what the January 6th committee was able to get. And we should assume DOJ has been able to get far more because they can get, they can serve warrants on cloud companies. And that's what they do before, before they go and seize Jeffrey Clark or John Eastman's phone. Mm -hmm. They already have their emails from, in John Eastman's case, it was readily available at Chapman. Gotcha. All right. I have to I'm already running late. So let me just see if I can get a quick answer on this and then we'll come back. We'll talk about specifically some of the uh, January 6th uh, hearings. Uh, Weissman argues that it's a disturbing sign that while usually he says the DOJ is ahead of congressional investigations, that this time it seems the other way around. Is that actually the case? Is that unusual? Uh, Yes. I did a post. post, Yes. And everyone should go to my site, mpwheel.net, and they will see a post where Uh I very quickly, in 10 minutes time, identified nine witnesses that Adam Schiff's committee Uh investigating the Russian Russian involvement in 2016, those witnesses, Adam Schiff's committee got to before before, uh, Weissman's special counsel investigation. And so, in fact, the Russian investigation, that wasn't true for. We don't have to go very far to prove that it often is the case that Congress gets to witnesses first. Even though the, the Russian one is one example. Even though Adam Schiff himself was the one out complaining about this committee being head of the DOJ, saying such a thing should never and it's happen. Like he, he, he swore it was unprecedented. And I'm like, let me introduce you to this guy, Adam Schiff, and this other <laughs> right. guy... This other guy, Andrew Weissman, because they can tell you that that is absolutely false. Well, clearly they are trying to send some sort of message to the DOJ for some reason. These aren't crazy people. Let me take a quick break. We'll come back with someone else who is not a crazy person on the uh, committee who is also seems to be sending, trying to send a message to the DOJ. And I'm not sure why. Uh, Frankly, I'm not sure why they're not working much closer than they seem to be. We're going to take a quick break, come back with Marcy Wheeler, the great Marcy Wheeler of EmptyWheel.net to try to make sense of this all. I'm Brad Friedman. You're listening to the Bradcast. Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. We'll be back soon. Now they're planning the crime of the century. 
I think we already know what it was, what they tried to plan, and uh, thankfully they were unsuccessful. Now the question is, will anybody uh, pay a price for it? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com speaking with independent national security journalist Marcy Wheeler of EmptyWheel.net, who uh, has followed the investigations and the prosecutions of uh, January 6th and everything related to it, probably as close as anyone in the entire country. And actually, she's doing it all these days from Ireland. But never mind that. Marcy, welcome back. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on this. Here was Republican vice chair of the House January 6th uh, Select Committee, Liz Cheney, on uh, near the beginning of day seven of the uh, of the committee's hearings. Now, the argument seems to be that President Trump was manipulated by others outside the administration that he was persuaded to ignore his closest advisors, and that he was incapable of telling right from wrong. This new strategy is to try to blame only John Eastman or Sidney Powell or Congressman Scott Perry or others and not President Trump. In this version, the president was, quote, poorly served by these outside advisors. The strategy is to blame people his advisors called, quote, the crazies for what Donald Trump did. This, of course, is nonsense. President Trump is a 76-year-old man. He is not an impressionable child. Just like everyone else in our country, he is responsible for his own actions and his own choices. As our investigation has shown, Donald Trump had access to more detailed and specific information showing that the election was not actually stolen than almost any other American. And he was told this over and over again. No rational or sane man in his position could disregard that information and reach the opposite conclusion. And Donald Trump cannot escape responsibility by being willfully blind. That was Liz Cheney on Tuesday at day, se- day seven of the January 6th committee hearings, seemingly sending yet another message uh, by referencing willful blindness, uh, a, a legal concept that uh, an- another one of these legal concepts that the committee seems to be repeating over and over again, as if to send a message to the Department of Justice about all of this. We've been uh, speaking with Marcy Wheeler about uh, this sort of weird dance between the uh, the committee and DOJ as they're trying to push each other or as the committee seems to be pushing uh, the DOJ. Marcy Wheeler, does your um, uh, good friend Liz Cheney there uh, have it about <laughs> have it about right uh, when it comes to willful blindness? And was that a direct message to the DOJ? And if so, why does the DOJ keep sending these messages to the I'm sorry, why does the committee keep sending these messages to the DOJ about what they would like them to do? Oh, I don't blame them. I mean, these are all former prosecutors, and prosecutors, when they're pitching their boss, and I'm sure prosecutors inside DOJ pitching Lisa Monaco, they they make these arguments. They say, here are the elements of the offense, and here's proof that this subject of the investigation has committed the elements of the offense. That's what Liz Cheney's been doing brilliantly, really. Um, and her, her, the staffers on the committee have been prepping her to do brilliantly. And I, I, I'm sure DOJ gets it. I'm sure DO, because they're looking at the same, you mm-hmm. know, like, 
you know, I'm going to claim credit here. Back in August of last year, so mm-hmm. 11 months ago, I wrote a post and I said, if they're going to go after Trump, they're going to go after him for a conspiracy to commit 1512 obstruction of a congressional proceeding. Mm-hmm. And at that point, everyone told me I was crazy. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone. <laughs> and then in maybe December or January, Liz Cheney was like, I think Donald Trump has committed uh, conspiracy to obstruct 1512, mm-hmm. the the and everyone's like, Liz Cheney's so brilliant. And it's like, <laughs> she is saying, this is the thing she's saying, She is using exactly the framework that DOJ has been using since March of 2021, which has the, the benefit of being expansive. You can keep, you know, throwing in new Proud Boys, throwing in Roger Stone, uh-huh. throwing in Alex Jones. Oops, there goes Mark Meadows, and all of a sudden Trump's in the middle of it. I mean, that is how it is organized. There are other crimes, you know, like the fake electors will involve counterfeit or what have you. Um, but that is that is the elegance of the way DOJ has structured their investigation. And guess what? Liz Cheney is really repeating back what DOJ is saying themselves. That they're so already they're, they're seem to be doing. The same, yeah, they're speaking the same language. Cheney is the, the you know, the, the January 6th committee, it is true that they did not have to start from a crime. They started mm-hmm. from the White House. Mm-hmm. DOJ simply cannot do that. Mm. Um, but they have, they do have common themes. I mean, they're both very aggressively investiga- investigating the fake electors. Um, so DOJ has been... Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Well, no. I, so, uh, just to get a broader picture here, I you know I haven't, as I mentioned, haven't spoken with you since the uh, you know this remarkable series of, of uh, public hearings began in the uh, in the January sixth committee. I'm wondering about your general about your takeaways in general, uh, and then more specifically uh, as to what, if anything, of note that you may have learned from these hearings that you didn't previously know, or is it just really a recitation of, of things that you have you already knew and that you've been actually trying to get the word out about over at EmptyWheel.net? Um, there are things that I've been, like the, the most recent one is, is and the, the most recent one was, was the, the militia side is not the committee's strength um, because they don't have the same power, they don't have, they haven't flipped Ten cooperating witnesses, mm-hmm. like DOJ has, mm-hmm. and DOJ is not sharing what they've learned from the cooperating witnesses with the committee, and mm-hmm. so that is a different kind of um, asymmetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been trying to say, like, I've been trying to say, it was like it was very funny. I was, um, I've been trying to say, look, the way to get to Trump from the mob scene is through Roger Stone, through Alex Jones, through Ali Alexander, and everyone's like, oh, you're never going to get to Trump through those people. And I was having a conversation just like that during the hearing the other day when the January 6th committee said, well, it's all Alexander and, and mm-hmm. Alex Jones and, and yep. Roger Stone. Mm-hmm. Like, these are the people who organized the violence mm-hmm. um, from the start. Mm-hmm. And so that, that logic is all baked into the DOJ investigation. DOJ has been working on all three of those people. Uh, Ali Alexander has been interviewed. Like I said, Alex Jones's employees have been arrested. Mm-hmm. Lots of people who worked uh, directly with Roger Stone. People I, should know, I what, uh, people I should know that you have been naming, uh, even when you appeared on this show over the past you know, many months, you have mentioned these folks. People were who's Ali Alexander? Well, now people are beginning to learn who is Joe Biggs. Now they're beginning to learn because they're being presented, at, you know, by the by the committee. Is there information, Marcy Wheeler, that you know anything that you believe that you know about all of this that the committee does not yet seem to understand at all? 
uh, as you see it? Are they getting all of the information that they need here, at least to make their case in the committee? Uh, and for that matter, uh, at the DOJ, are, are they are they both getting it? <laughs> I think that DOJ has some secrets or and DOJ has some things like there are defendants that I know are really important, but I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And the people who who know everyone's face, they don't know why. I just, I'm like, I know this person is really important and I don't know why. There's also this question of how the complete random people from, you know, Peoria, how some of them, like maybe 20 of them, uh, showed up on the 6th and acted just as smart as all the Proud Boys. And we don't know how that worked. My suspicion is that they learned things on the 5th at the rallies. People from Peoria? Um, so from Pe- stuff like that. People from Peoria, you say? Well, I just threw out a city. I'm actually, let's say Las Vegas Uh and and Tennessee, because those are some of the people I'm thinking of. Some Pennsylvania guys, Mm -hmm. some Texas guys. Mm -hmm. These are people who are very, very, I mean, they're they're entirely organized online, and yet they show up at the Capitol and they know exactly where to go. And how does that happen? That's a good question. Okay. Um, I think that, you know, I think that we are going to see when the committee eventually does a report a lot of incredibly good work that isn't as focused on Donald Trump, um, like work on the social media company. Mm-hmm. That is incredibly important to moving beyond this, that they've done the work and we're not going to actually see until we get the report. Before, we, before we go beyond, the, uh, beyond this, uh, do you believe that uh, there will be and or there is hard evidence uh, that will emerge, uh, well, whether it's through the committee or the DOJ, showing a direct connection between Donald Trump and the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, even if you have to go through, uh, you know, guys like Roger Stone or Michael Flynn to get there. Will they be able to make yeah, that hard yeah, connection? Yeah. Yes. Yes? Yeah. You get there through Roger Stone. Okay. You get there through not just Roger Stone. I mean, uh, like, I, I've said this, and I will say it again because it bears repeating. The guy who was in charge of the Proud Boys, one of the two guys in charge of the Proud Boys that day, mm-hmm. guy by the name of Joe Biggs. Joe Biggs, by the way, is also one of the guys who started Pizzagate and also one of the guys who started the Seth Rich conspiracy. Okay. Sort of interesting background. Then he joins the Proud Boys, but he used to work for Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. So you have this incredibly close tie between Alex Jones and the, and the Proud Boys, the guy running the Proud Boys, and Alex Jones, the Proud Boys, and the Oath Keepers all converge on the east side of the building together. They're all really close. They mm-hmm. all converge on the east side of the building together uh, after the first breach on the west side. How does that happen? That happens because these guys are really close network. And who else is in that network? Roger Stone. Roger Stone. And Roger Stone has been sitting at the Willard with some of these same Oath Keepers earlier that morning. And and both Alex Jones and Roger Stone obviously get you directly to Donald Trump. Perfect. So because that's because I've got just a, a minute or two left here, Marcy, and I want to ask you sort of a lightning round thing. The the other uh, nut that hasn't really <laughs> been cracked, at least uh, by the committee, is that Willard War Room. Uh, what went on at that uh, hotel near the White House between, I guess, uh, uh, Flynn, Bannon, Eastman, Giuliani, and others. The committee has not dealt with that at all. Is, is it because they do not know yet? They haven't cracked that yet? Uh, what do you know about the Willard War room and what went on there that we should know about or is it still a black hole in all of this for you for the committee and everyone else no i mean there's been great reporting and they're trying to get the documentary films because all these people are narcissists and they're they're attracted by documentary 
people all the time. Was there um, a camera? The, the was there cameras was, inside the Willard War Room? Uh, on stone. But, like, Stone ditched his documentary team at a key moment on January 5th, for example. He uh-huh. left by himself at a time, at the exact same moment, the Proud Boys are secretly meeting with people to plan for the next day. We don't know who that is. So, okay. um, I mean, look, uh, this is the problem with people bragging about how well January 6th is doing, is those people in the, like, 201, the people in the Willard are all liars. Right. And some of them pled the fifth, and some of them, you know, uh, some of them probably didn't tell the full truth in their hearings. DOJ actually has a few people who they prosecuted who they claim cooperated. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think they probably got a too easy deal, but, but they do have people who were in the Willard who have already been, you know, who are well into prosecution or have actually even been sentenced. Um, a guy named, by the name of Brandon Straka. They said cooperated, gave them very important information mm. in February of 2021 about Ali Alexander, about the Stop the Steal listserv. He, who did he sit ne- next with, next to at the at the rally at Trump's speech? Mike Flynn. Who did mm. he walk back to the Willard with before he went to the insurrection? Mike Flynn. So here's a guy who was at the Willard between mm-hmm. the speech and the insurrection that um, was given a deal on, uh, was given a kind of uh, misdemeanor cooperation deal that they're doing based on stuff he told DOJ in February and March of 2021. Okay. I, you know, I think he got a probably too good deal. But there are a number of people, there are about seven or eight people like that that are all flying under the radar for the people who are focused just on the January 6th committee. And those are the people that are getting DOJ to places that the January 6th committee is not getting. Gotcha. Two quick lightning round questions. Uh, Donald Ayer, who served as Ronald Reagan's deputy solicitor general, and George H.W. Bush's deputy AG, along with uh, a couple of other federal prosecutors, wrote a piece in The Atlantic uh, today. Headline, January 6th was Trump's project all along, and the Department of Justice now has more than enough evidence to prosecute him for it. Do do you have confidence that Merrick Garland and the leadership at the DOJ uh, know that now and that, in fact, uh, right now there is enough to move forward with prosecution of Donald J. Trump? I think there is plenty of evidence to prove that Donald J. J. Trump committed, uh, 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 conspired, and himself did obstruct the vote certification on January 6th. I think DOJ will not charge it, which is different, until they get a couple of more pieces in place, because they need those people. They need a Rudy, uh, a Roger Stone, Mm -hmm. a Mark Meadows, a Cipollini. Uh Uh-huh. Pat Cipollini, right? And they can, you know, I think Pat Cipollini probably is going to get a big fat subpoena from DOJ because what he said already, and he gets you, you know, he isn't in the same legal jeopardy as the others. And so I think, honestly, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen six months from now. That's not as soon as people want. But I do think uh, but if those pieces are coming into place. If you think it's going to happen, I will take that. Whether it's uh, now or six months from now, I'll take it. Marcy Wheeler thinks it's going to happen, at least if they get the pieces, the final pieces that they need. They need, to get the, they need yeah. to get the pieces in place. Like, they need the Mark Meadow, Roger Stone, yep. Rudy Giuliani, Alex 
Alex Jones. So well, four people they need to get into place first. Last question, uh, and and this you're just welcome to give a yes or no answer. Uh, Steve Bannon's contempt of Congress trial starts next week. Uh, as he faces as much as two years in prison for refusing to answer the lawful subpoenas of the House J6 committee. You said this is, you know, mostly for punishment rather than to get information, though it does seem like he's got uh, the, the the previous hearing. They suggested that he had access to some pretty uh, direct information from the White House as far as what was going to happen on January 6th. So I guess the yes or no question I want to ask, Marcy Wheeler, is Steve Bannon in trouble? Yeah. Good enough. Probably more trouble than, yeah, probably more trouble than he knows. Yeah. Because there's other kinds of trouble floating around. I mean, even New York State is looking to prosecute him. So he's in trouble. The question is what kind of crazy he does to try and get out of it this time. You know, people forget that he testified to a grand jury in the Roger Stone case. It was the one time that he kind of approached honesty, and he did it to avoid going to jail. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, he's a terrible, horrible liar, buffoon, but uh, he is somebody who really wants to not go to jail. Sad. Marcy Wheeler, uh, independent national security journalist at EmptyWheel.net. You should follow her on the Twitters as well. She is EmptyWheel. Uh, if you want to find out what's actually going on in all of this, I don't think anyone in the uh, in the nation, she's in Ireland, so anyone on the planet knows more about it than her. Marcy, always great speaking with you. I look forward to doing it again soon. Thanks, Marcy. Take care. Okay, uh, she knows a lot of stuff. <laughs> she does. She knows stuff. She has a comprehensive view of yes. all of this. Yes, which is why we love having her here. Okay, we do have to get out. Uh, yes. My thanks to Marcy, of course, and to our producer, Desi Doyen. Thanks, Des. Yep. And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We hope we made it worth your while. If we did and you need to hear it again or anything else we've ever covered, you can download our programs anytime for free at bradblog.com. That's made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. And thank you for it. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Bradblog, And I will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.